0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Cigna. Cigna's 2018 Loneliness Index found that most Americans are lonely. However, those who have regular, meaningful, in-person interactions are less likely to be lonely. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Wednesday, June 13th, the Washington Post convened policymakers, healthcare experts, and advocates who discussed the state of mental health care in the United States, strategies for addressing the country's mental health concerns, and links between technology use and mental well-being. In this segment, Dr. Robert Finling, Director of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Dr. Brian Primack, Director of the Center for Media, Technology and Health, at the University of Pittsburgh, and Yada Uhls, assistant adjunct professor at UCLA's Department of Psychology, shine a spotlight on how media, technology, and other social factors are affecting the mental health of children, teens, and college-age students. Let's listen.
1: Hey, Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited for this conversation. We've had a nice conversation in the back and I hope to share a lot of the things we just talked about with all of you. I'm Amy Joyce, editor and reporter with uh, the On Parenting blog here at the Washington Post. And we're here to talk a bit about uh, the social factors affecting the mental health of American youth with a focus on media and technology. So with me, we've got Dr. Robert Finling, who's the Director of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. We have Dr. Yalda Ulls, who conducts research at UCLA on how media affects the social behavior of children. She also wrote a book that I'd love to talk about called uh, Media Moms and Digital Dads, and it's about parenting in the digital age. And finally, we have Dr. Primack, who's the director of the Center for Technology, Media, and Health at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you all for being here today, and thank you all. I want to remind our audience that you can ask your questions. Tweet it at us here using the hashtag #postlive. I look forward to those questions, so do send those on. So we're going to start with an easy one (laughs) for all of you. I hope it's an easy one. What is your reaction to what you just heard? how are media and technology impacting kids, teens, and college-age students' mental health? Are you seeing that impacting their mental health? Well, Dr. Primack, why don't we start with you?
2: <laughs> uh, sure. So uh, I do think that um, media and technology, uh, social media, is impacting youth. Uh, the question is, in what ways and to what degree? In other words, I think that we have a very classic double-edged sword here where there certainly are things about media and technology that can be beneficial to young people. Somebody who is very isolated might be able to make certain connections with others because of technologies like these. On the other hand, there certainly are potential pitfalls and you know, as an example, I think that there's been a lot of promise uh, held out that through these technologies, no one's ever going to be lonely again. You know, all I have to do is reach out. I have 700 friends. I must be, you know, likable. I must be connected. Uh, but we recently did a large, nationally representative study um, testing that hypothesis out. And we expected that people who had more social media exposure would be more connected. And we actually found exactly the opposite. And it was a a linear association. Every amount of social media increase was associated with an increased feeling of loneliness. And so that doesn't mean that every single person who uses social media is going to be lonely. And probably in you know, these large nationally representative studies, there are pockets of individuals who are going to get a lot of benefit. But it's just a little bit of a cautionary tale for us to understand that just because you have an interaction on social media doesn't mean that you're really getting what we need as social animals who have developed to need human contact over millions of years of evolution.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. And I would say there's no question face-to-face communication is the gold standard of communication. Um, And and we are just starting to figure out how social media and these devices, mobile technology, are affecting adolescents, children. um, They've been around for only 10 years. I mean, the iPhone um, was invented in 2007. Research moves very, very slowly. Technology moves very, very quickly. Um, and there, there are mixed sort of findings. Some findings say, find positive findings, some findings are negative, and, and it's very complex. You know, as a social scientist who studies research, as someone who speaks to parents, What I think is we need to get really deeper into this data, understand the individual differences, understand YouTube is very different than Instagram. Um, We are moving towards video chat. There's house party now where you can actually talk face-to-face through video with other people. So we need to sort of get more nuanced with the way that we look
1: at this, but it's going to take time.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Okay. Dr. Finling, we had talked a bit about what you're actually seeing as far as the mental health in kids, teens these days. The CDC numbers on teen suicide doesn't look very good. It's up quite a bit. Can you talk about that?
4: So certainly, we've known for years, and it sadly hasn't changed, that a leading cause of death in teenagers has been suicide. Uh, I have the privilege of working in the state of Maryland, and. A leading cause of death in 10 to 14-year-olds now is suicide. Ultimately, suicide is the most catastrophic tip of an iceberg uh, that's really depression. And throughout the the, the high-tech world, including the United States, the affluent part of the world, the leading causes of disability in young people are psychiatric conditions. And so in many ways, we're not just talking about experiences of feelings, but we're talking about things that disable people. And we're talking about things that are lethal. And that's really, at the heart of it, why this is actually needs to be thoughtfully considered seriously. And the reason the first question is actually answered by my colleagues here in a thoughtful, circumspect way, which is the areas are gray. If the answers were simple, we would have solved them already.
1: Right. Right. Okay. So, Dr. Primack, what new trends are you seeing? What do you see emerging in the care community um, to treat and predict these problems of disconnection that, you're, that you've seen in your own studies and that we're talking about today? How should we be looking at this? And as parents, what should we be doing? And Dr. Uls, maybe you can speak about the parenting side of that. Although. You also have children, so. <laughs>
2: yes. Yes, I do have children, and so I am able to see this in a natural laboratory as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and
2: I think that uh, the trends are very complex and confusing. I don't think there is a primary trend, because I think that some clinicians are very comfortable with new media. And they're very comfortable suggesting, you know, it's not so bad to use this um, you're a parent, go ahead, take a shower, let them watch you know, some uh, television, even if they are just one year old, um, whereas other people read certain studies and say, oh my goodness, uh, you know, I can't let anyone near a screen before they're two years old, because there was a recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics you know, long ago and so i think that people really are very confused and it comes back to what dr oles was saying in terms of we need to understand the nuances because we're only going to really be able to move forward if we have more evidence based approaches and there are a lot of things that i think we need to understand better so for example there are a lot of different ways of using social media not every social media interaction is the same. Sometimes you're having very positive experiences, like clicking like on cute pictures of babies and puppies. Other times, you might be using that same hour, but you might be having very angry confrontations around very hot button issues. And so we need to understand, are these different ways of using social media differently related to depression, for example. And we just released a study last week that looked at this. And the results were actually surprising. We found, uh, like we hypothesized, that if you had more negative experiences, that was directly associated to higher levels of depression. But if you had lots of positive experiences, it was not necessarily associated with lower levels of depression. There was a slight tendency, but it wasn't even statistically significant. And so what this says to us is that we need to understand more of what those negative things are And we need to understand more of what's going on with those positives, because we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to be able to use these technologies so that people can have positive experiences. But I think right now, we're just not there yet as a society.
3: And one, one thing that we do know, well, I wouldn't say we know it for sure, but there has been some evidence that passive use of social media can lead to more um, depression, mental health issues. While active, and this has been replicated a few times, somebody who actually posts, um, somebody who's actually engaging with the social media, that can actually lead to less feelings of loneliness. But when you're just watching, when you're just, it's called lurking, Um, that can lead to more increased feelings of loneliness. Because you're on the outside. I think you're just, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, if you're just sitting there watching other people have these curated, perfect lives, and especially tweens, preteens, and teens, they're not yet... Um, they don't yet understand that these lives are created, they're curated, they're always positive. They're learning these things, so they often have fear of missing out, they often have Mm -hmm. downward social comparisons, so some of these are the negative um, uh, feelings that arise when a young person is first getting engaged with social media. On the other hand, they're very excited, There's, there's a theory called rich get richer, which if you're an extroverted kid, um, you actually use the media to connect with more people and you have a lot of fun with it So it's very as we, we keep saying it's very very nuanced parents are terrified <laughs> I'm a parent. I was terrified when my kids were tweens. They're now 15 and 18 I've seen them sort of cycle through and they're turning out just fine um, and they are media kids and um, But every time I talk to parents, and I do a lot of panels, I do a lot of speaking. um, They are really, really scared. You know, the latest thing, and we don't often—we didn't even talk about video games. Video games are also social, and they—I consider video games social media. So now everybody's scared of Fortnite. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's there's always something to freak us out. But um, this is normal. There's always a moral panic around media. Uh, We've had moral panics around books. We've had moral panics around the telephone, and then we sort of adjust, and we're in
1: the adjustment phase. We are, we're the first generation of parents dealing with this, exactly. and so I do think there has been a lot of blame and a lot of conversation around, um, is this an actual addiction? Are there addictions to screens? And uh, can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, you're seeing a big de- or increase in depression and suicide, so, What's the connection there, or screens the connection, and can we talk a little bit about whether screen addiction is a real thing?
4: So I'll, I'll just talk about, since our, my colleagues to my left are social scientists, I, I, I know patients as I see them, uh, one at the time. <laughs> and, 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 and so what I would tell folks is really simply, um, I've never seen a youngster who had a completely well-functioning life who was drawn to something terrible solely as a result of a screen. And so ultimately, uh, the, the, the screen may be part of a larger, complicated picture that can be driven by a variety of different things. It may not be the only problem, but it may be a symptom of other things to consider, because ultimately, uh, our patients aren't quite neatly categorized and they, we take them as they come. So, I certainly have patients who have uh, had uh, positive interactions and get a lot of support from social media. And I've seen youngsters who've been horribly victimized. You know, when I grew up, as you can perhaps see from the gray hair, <laughs> um, you know, when you were being bullied, it was somebody, you know, intimidating you for your lunch money. Well, now, if you're shamed, it's not just a physical aggression, it's really a relational aggression and a shaming not just between you and perhaps your victimizer, but with thousands and thousands of thousands of other people watching, perhaps even ganging up. So at the end of all of this, uh, it's, it's still, again, a mixed blessing. And every individual youngster is impacted potentially differently. But to your question, have I ever seen somebody who was doing well in school, well with peers, well with their family, doing all those good things, and yet their one albatross in life is they couldn't get off the screen? I've never seen such a thing. Mm. Uh, and, and so the point is, if, but when I've seen kids who've had these things, there are other things. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful distraction to immerse oneself if one doesn't have a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. if, you, if one doesn't feel as if their future holds a lot of promise for them. So again, it's, the place, it's a place to begin, but it's not necessarily the place to end if this is a concern for any youngster out there.
1: okay, I agree with that. In, in, can we talk a little bit more, too, about sort of with kids how to introduce screens and at what age I have a child who's going <laughs> to middle school and the parents are all up in arms. They have you know, contracts that their kids are signing and they're asking other parents what they're doing because they want all the kids to be on the same page and with the same rules. Are we freaking out a little bit too much? What kind of rules, you know, from your experience and what you all know should we be putting in place as parents?
3: My
4: kids are adults. I'll have to.
1: You're good. I I mean, I get every
3: single parent talk I get asked, what's the right age for a phone? What's the right age for social media? My answer is every family is different. Every child is different. Um, I have a friend who was a single mother with three kids right here in DC, she had to give her daughter a phone at a very young age, eight years right. old, um, because they were, she had to keep track of them. I, most families do it from the transition to from elementary school to middle school. Um, that's when I did it. I, I do agree um, that giving media contracts or device contracts actually work mainly because when you give this kind of contract, and that's a family thing, not a school right. thing. When right. you're sitting at home and you, you yourself are agreeing to the same things, you know. No phones at the dinner table. You know, we charge it downstairs. Um, that's a really good time to sort of discuss all of the issues around media because you are giving them a tool that gives them a lot of power, a lot of connection that can be used for positive and negative, And you want to maximize the positive, minimize the harm, and a family media agreement can help with that.
2: Mm-hmm. I-, I completely agree, and. Um... I would add that in addition to figuring out the specific differences about timing, it's also really important to pair that with empowerment and education. Mm-hmm. So you don't just give a teenager at age 16 a car and say, "Okay, enjoy." You know, you you, you take courses, you talk about responsibility, you, you know, go through an entire process. And I think that in this case, it's maybe even more so. I mean, I probably went a little bit extreme. I made my fourteen-year-old before he got his phone. Um, I he had to learn how to program. I said, "Look, <laughs> these things are either program or oh, be programmed, know. right?" And so he had to learn HTML and JavaScript, and you know that was maybe a little bit extreme.
3: <laughs> I love that idea,
2: but. <laughs> But the idea, I think, did actually work in the sense that he looks at this in a different way. He, Every time he sees a message on there, he sort of knows how that was created. And he knows that that was created by people and that this was not created you know, by some divine force that is always right. And so I think that that whole idea of media literacy, understanding how to... You know, not just access this tool, but to analyze and evaluate everything that we see on it is going to be crucial. And if we as a society can integrate media literacy around these devices as well as other media, I think we're really gonna be able to maximize the positive things we can do with them and minimize some of those concerns. And
3: I would say, you know, there are a lot of schools that are integrating this kind of teaching into their classrooms. And and most of us, any of us who are parents can talk to our teachers about it. We can do that kind of teaching at home, but we should be asking our schools to do it as well. Okay.
1: And Dr. Finling, can you talk a little bit about the loneliness factor, um, how much does that play a part in the patients that you see? And what can we do as parents, as teachers, uh, to mitigate that, if that is a big reason for a lot of the depression and anxiety you're seeing yourself?
4: So I I think the the most important part, just like screens, loneliness is really nonspecific. So we may see a youngster who has a hard time relating people in a social way. And so getting them in with the right people uh, and help them socialize is part of it. Some of them may be very, very anxious and helping them through their anxiety. It, like so many other things, when we have one clear symptom, it may not be the way to solve it by is by just focusing on the symptom itself but looking at what the determinants are of there and addressing it so for example uh one of the more recent youngsters i saw has a low iq and was in a class that was far too accelerated for him and he was uh, having a hard time relating to his peers mm. and he just had to be with the right peer group and he was a lovely young man so 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 all things being considered when faced with an issue just don't stop there but dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, as a general rule of thumb, you'll, the answers will actually reveal themselves to you with a little bit of uh, a treasure hunting.
1: Okay. And how do we know when our children are depressed or anxious, and they're not just going through moody teenager?
4: Ah. <laughs> so, so anyone who's ever been with teenagers—I mean, I, we were all teenagers at one point. I raised. Adults who were teenagers not so long ago, the teenagers. Look, life has its challenges. Being an adolescent has its challenges. But being an, a young adult, first out, has its challenges. Transitioning further and being a parent has its challenges for the first time. Life has its challenges, and adolescence is un, no different than any others. Thankfully... About 85% of teenagers go through their adolescent years maintaining their grades, not getting caught up in drugs, keeping their friends, getting involved in extracurricular activities, and not feeling terribly overwhelmed and miserable. However, there's about 15% of folks who might start hanging out with the wrong crowd, watch their grades go down, get involved with drugs. And so what I tell parents is to step back and forgetting about the independent strivings that you're now challenged with. If there's a problem, there's a problem. And if there's a problem, ask about it. Talk to your pediatrician or your family doctor and say, I'm worried about this. This is not my child. But if there's no problems and you're just really grappling with the development and maturation that we all actually grapple with throughout our entire lives, then you're okay. And remember, 85% of teenagers do just fine, thank you so much. So let's not pathologize (laughs) adolescence, but rather recognize that it's part of life.
1: Okay, great. And can we talk uh, briefly, how do we raise responsible digital kids? It's a whole new world. Like I said, we're the first generation of parents dealing with this, doctors, pediatricians. What can we do to sort of make it okay? What can we do to raise smart, digital kids? Um, well, as
3: Dr. Primark said, um, have them learn HTML. you know, you don't yeah. hand them the keys to the car. You know, you, you, and actually, you spend 50 hours, I have a teenager who learned how to drive, with them in the car. So you actually join them. You role model. You make sure that you're talking the talk walking the walk that you're asking your kids to do. You friend them on social media. You talk to them positively about their experiences. If you're always negative, they're going to tune you out. Mm-hmm. You do media, family media agreements. And you promote digital citizenship in the classroom as well. Um, all of these things, it's just like it's, it's just like parenting offline. Parenting online, just be confident in your own ability to parent and believe in yourself and trust your kid until there's a problem. Until there's a problem. <laughs> you have more?
2: No, I completely agree with that. Um, I would add co-viewing to the list. In other words, you know, let's look at some of these social media things together. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the same kind of media literacy concept that we have with advertising and with movies and things like that. But again, a lot of those things are transferable into the social media world.
1: Absolutely. OK. All right, well, on that note, that uh, flew by very quickly. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's all the time we have today. So thank you, Drs. Finling and Ulls and Primac for joining us. And I'd like to hand things over now to my colleague, Libby Casey, who will lead the final interview of the program with the First Lady of New York, Charlene McRae. Thank you all very much.
0: Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening.